more mercy. Does anyone like me wants to receive more mercy? Yes. Mercy is good. Real good. Now for our guests, we're teaching through the epistle of James. And two weeks ago we said the bottom line for James really is basically that we need to walk the talk. You know, talking is fine, but we need to walk the talk. In order to walk the talk, there must be a change from the inside out. We can't just expect that uh, we're going to say we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and the enemy is going to just allow us to just do what we want to do. Our flesh is going to allow us to do what we want to do. The world system is just going to allow us to do what we want to do. No, we're going to have to have some changes on the inside in order to make uh, our walk effective according to our talk. Now, what comes out of our heart is very important. So that means what goes into your heart is very important. And as my wife said, Minerva said that, you know, you need to renew your mind because in our mind, when you get born again, your mind really doesn't uh, change. Otherwise, he would tell us we don't have to renew our mind according to the Word of God, which is uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. We don't have to be conform, you know, be uh, transformed. All we have to do be conformed to the world, because our mind is already renewed. No, our mind is not be is not renewed. We need, need to renew it according to the Word of God, and we need to get things in our heart, our mind, our will, emotions. That's a little bit different from the world system. A lot different, matter of fact. So, what comes out of the heart is determined determined by who and what we believe. Who we believe is God. What we believe is a different thing. I say we want to believe the word of God. That's, that's our aim, that's our goal, that's our aspiration, is to believe what God said in his word. And if we're going to do that, then we have to, as Minerva said, get into the word of God. We have to renew our mind according to the word of God. And we have to practice what the word says, even though... It's opposite from the world system. Even though it goes against our flesh. Even though it might not be what other people around you are doing, this is what God says. And so this is what we do that distinguishes us as disciples of Jesus Christ because we obey the word of God. Let's look at Mark chapter 7, verse 18. In Mark, uh, in Mark 7, um, it says that, starting verse 18, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the, to the man from the outside cannot defile him? And they were, the, the, the uh, Pharisees was talking about his disciples who weren't um, washing their hands according to the, the traditions of the elders because it does not go into his heart, verse 19 says, but into his stomach and is, and is eliminated. Thus he declares all foods clean. And verse 20 says, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles a man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, 
and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Now, Chad Roberts taught the last two weeks and did a good job, and he was uh, teaching us how to stretch and be stretched. And so he gave us uh, basically a renewed, renewed emphasis on the goals that we're supposed to have for 2009. And in your bulletin, you have... Uh, if you have a bulletin, open your bulletin. You have these. I gave it to you once in, in a, a gold sheet of paper insert. But you should have the goals for 2009. It should be right there in, in your bulletin. And we said that we want to have a zeal for the loss. And if we're not changed from the inside out, we're not going to have a zeal for the loss. Because it's just not... It's just not the way that we are in the flesh. We're, we're selfish. We're concerned about ourselves. God says we need to be concerned about the loss because we were all lost at one time. And see, when we are complacent and we are not doing the things that we're supposed to do to reach out to the lost, then we don't have a mindset like Christ. Because he came to this earth to save sinners. He didn't come to the earth to save righteous people. He came to save sinners. And we need to be here doing the same thing. We need to increase our intimacy with God. And that's what Chad uh, was speaking of a little bit. You know, you're supposed to be uh, having at least a 15-minute devotional time every day. And you're supposed to have been doing this ever since January. You're supposed to also been including the seven priorities, which um, you're supposed to have memorized. And those uh, priorities basically uh, has to do with things that you know are in the Word of God. You know, we know we're supposed to praise and thank God. You know you're supposed to worship God. You know you're supposed to pray to God. You know you're supposed to read and study the Word of God. We're supposed to really meditate and memorize the Word of God. We're supposed to share the Word of God, and, and, and we're supposed to confess the Word of God when things come in our minds that are against the Word of God. We said that also, that if you're going to memorize the Word of God, let's have some goals on that. Let's memorize one scripture per month. So this is probably about the seventh month, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. So you're supposed to be on the eighth scripture memorization now. So anybody in here, I'm supposed to be able to say, hey, uh, stand up and give me five of your scripture memorizations. Of course, I still will fall short too because you're supposed to have already memorized seven. And those who are taking classes with me uh, Saturday morning at 6.30, uh, twice a month, uh, we started back in October. So uh, I have 13 that I have memorized at this point. And I have some more to go. So we're supposed to be doing that because we started back in October. So I had, and I messed up in October, I told you that. So I had to memorize two and make up for the mistake I made by being slothful. So how are you coming? See, we are talking about the Word of God. If we're going to give an exhortation by the Word of God, if we're going to be doers of the Word of God, how are you going to? Do what you haven't memorized 
because we've already talked about when you see your face in the mirror and then you go away and you forget, be a forgetful uh, hearer of the word of God, you need, you need to be looking intently at the uh, law of liberty. We said that uh, you got to, matter of fact, the word says that, you know, that word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So therefore, we need to hide the word. We need to be able to quote the word. We need to have this word in us. And we need to be progressing. And this, this, these goals have helped me during this, this course of this year because I was not memorizing scripture, uh, really. Because I had memorized a lot of scripture uh, before. And so I was not memorizing scripture. I had certain scriptures already memorized. But it challenged me to increase in my memorization. And that's a good thing. It's a real good thing. How many of you are really doing, don't raise your hand, how many of you are really doing good at that? Are you, are you, you really progressing in that, pressing towards the goal for the high call of Jesus Christ? We said that you need to expand, expand your prayer coverage three days a uh, week. And we said just five minutes of the day, three times a week, that's fine. You need to pray for your mate or your mate-to-be. Your children are your children to be. You need to pay, pray for yourself. You need to pray for our goals, the church goals. We need to pray for also the uh, body of the, the elders and the leadership. You need to pray for those uh, leaders. You know, in other words, and also we said that four times a year, in this year, 2009, you need to go to a corporate prayer, which we have one on Thursdays at 7 o'clock at Believers. Are you still there? Okay, Thursday night, I believe it's at 7 o'clock. And also in the uh, prayer room that we have designated as a prayer room, uh, I think Ms. Dorsey is praying maybe around 9 to 9.30 for the loss. Is that, you still doing that? And then the others come at 9.30 to 10.15. They're praying for the service and things like that. So you have, a, you have a corporate prayer time that you can do right here on Sunday mornings. How are you progressing in that? See, you, you have five more months to get in four times, okay? And that's very important. It's very important because God wants people of prayer. We said also that we needed to uh, be more cooperative with God in really uh, being selfless rather than selfish. In other words, we need to cooperate more with Him and with those who lead you. Now, of course, if you're not doing the things that we've already told you seven months ago, that means we're falling short in cooperation also. Okay? Because we wouldn't have asked you, there's no way in the world I would ask you to try to memorize anything or do anything if it were not going to increase your spirituality. If it were not going to have an effect on your family. If it's not going to have an effect in your own personal life. I wouldn't have asked you to do that. I'm asking you only to do something that's going to increase your effectiveness as a man, a woman of God, as a husband, a, a, a mother, a wife, a father, a co-worker, an employee, employer, and a body of Christ also. We said we need to yield to God changing us and our families hard on giving. Those are the things we said we wanted to do. I, I'm taking those things serious. I'm not going to come up in December of this year and have not done it. I'm not going to do that. Because, number one, I'm the one supposed to be leading. 
So whatever I've asked you to do, then I'm going to do. Do it. Make sure I do it. And most time more. Because that's what leaders do. All of you are supposed to be leaders at some point. At some point, you're supposed to be leading your children. You're supposed to be leading your household. Everybody's supposed to be a leader. So you should be trying to do that because it's going to increase your effectiveness in the kingdom. Last uh, message I was teaching in James two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. We ended the message with asking a question. What is the difference between showing mercy and showing tough love? Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to do three verses today. And we ended with these three verses, but we didn't really uh, unpack these verses like I wanted to unpack them. Like you unpack a suitcase, we want to unpack these verses. For he who said, do not commit murder, let's go to verse 10. For everyone, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. See, you remember James is talking to um, Jewish Christians. And they are used to doing what the law says to do. They're used to works. And when they came to Christianity, of course, it becomes uh, a little straddling of the fence, let's say. They want to do the law, but they want to also have grace. They want to walk in the grace of God. And a lot of times what happens is just like we do, we come out of the world and we want to uh, be in Christianity and also have a foot in the world too. And he's telling him, James, James is telling them, look, if you're going to try to keep a law and you are going to choose what laws you think you're going to keep, it's not going to actually help you. Do you remember the, the young rich ruler who came to Jesus and, and asked him, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, you know, uh, the commandments, some of the commandments. And he said, all oh, these I've done for my youth. He said, well, then do this. Go sell what you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sorrowful. And see, he was picking the ones he was going to obey. But from his heart, he wasn't obeying all of them. Because God is interested in the heart. And so what happens is that he's telling the, these Jewish Christians the same thing here. You can't pick and choose what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Because in verse 11 says, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So I don't care what word of God, God has told us to do. You can't think you're holier than thou. You can't think you're so great when you are disobeying some of what God says, even though you don't think this sum of what God said is that important. You think that the bigger things are so important, and so you don't kill, you don't steal, you don't do all these things like that, so you're a pretty good Christian, you know? No, God is concerned about, you know, uh, just the little things that are hard. He's concerned about, really, uh, are you, are you handling, handling things when they don't go your way? Are you handling your anger? Are you handling uh, your long-suffering with people? Are you handling... You know, uh, perseverance. Are you handling these things that are fruit of the Spirit? 
Then it says in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, the law of liberty basically is the word of God. What God has said is the gospel. And if we look at Romans chapter 8, let's turn there for a minute. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us, and we quote verse 1, but we don't finish usually. Therefore, therefore, there is now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We usually stop there. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin to condemn sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's stop there. The law of liberty. John, let's look at the, at the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who, were, who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's the law of liberty. The law of liberty has to do with the word of God. It has to do with the gospel, the good news. There's no freedom if we are not in Christ, none whatsoever. There's bondage. To judge, really, in that verse that we've been reading in James, is actually telling us, just like um, when you get called for jury duty, it's a scene like that. When you're judging somebody, you are sitting to pronounce them guilty or pronounce them innocent, depending on the information that you get, and you're going to sentence them. God doesn't want us to do that because we are not supposed to do that. Christ is going to be judging the world and condemning the wicked. And the word of God is going to do that. It's not going to be us. So we are not supposed to be judging in that way. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Now, we are called to be responsible. And you say, well, what's the difference, you know? Well, if you're responsible for children, you can't let them just have their way. You're going to have to discipline them. And they may say, well, you, you know, uh, just like, like you have teenagers and, and they, they are, they are uh, hanging with people that are doing things that they're not supposed to do. You tell them, that, that's not right. You're not supposed to be doing that. You need to change your friends, you know. And they say, well, you're judging me. No, I'm being responsible. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to keep you out of trouble. I love you. And see, so when we're talking about judgment versus tough love, we're talking about mercy. That's where we want to go today. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 
5. Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the, in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's talking about judgment here. He's talking about judging. That's what we tend to do. We try to judge others when we should be busy, very busy, judging ourselves. Because it says, you know, you need to judge yourself, that you be not judged. Yeah? Uh, so that's a different type of judgment. That's distinguishing what, what's right with me, what's wrong with me, what, what do I need to do with this thing. It's distinguishing right and wrong. You know? And, of course, there is a judgment. We can't judge ourselves because we don't know and we can't judge properly. So even Paul said, well, I don't judge myself. You know, because I don't even know what my, you know, my, my, I think I'm doing right, but I'm not the judge. So there, there are different types of judgment. Let's look at um, Matthew 5, 7. And you, 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 this is a good scripture memorization verse, real short. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. Now that's what he said. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What is this mercy he's talking about? He's talking about compassion. It's talking about active pity. It's not talking about just words. It's talking about doing something about what you see that a person is in. God's mercy, his loving kindness, his benevolent pity for the misery brought about by sin, he did something. For God so loved the world that he gave. So he loved, as one commentary said, he loved in mercy, but he gave in grace. You didn't deserve it, I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us by just the grace. But he had mercy on us in order to do that. If he didn't have any mercy, we'd all die and go to hell. But because of his mercy, his loving kindness, he gave his only begotten son. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7. 10. For godless sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh to death. Now here he's talking about godless sorrow. And, and, and it's very important that we understand that godless sorrow works with penance, and repentance is actually changing our mind. Repentance is not just doing what somebody wants you to do. You know, your parents get on you, or somebody, or your employer get on you and, you, and you start doing what's right. If you haven't changed your mind, there's no repentance at all. All it is is just conforming to what they ask you to do because you will get fired if you don't do it. But God's not asking us to do that. Repentance is changing our mind. And when we change our mind, automatically our habits, our direction, our walk will change. But you can change your walk without changing your mind for a while. 
but you revert back to it. God says that godless sorrow works repentance. First John 1 John 1.9 says that basically that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Well, if you confess your sins, but how are you going to confess them? Are you confessing them just say, hey, I sinned this time. Hey, forgive me. And you keep doing the same thing and more. No godless sorrow works repentance. So we need to be have a godless sorrow for what we have done. He forgives us. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look there. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men for their trans- trespasses, as transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, here we're talking about mercy. We're talking about mercy. Why should, why should God forgive us when we won't forgive someone else? And you know, the body of Christ walks around in an unforgiving way a lot of times. We'll say, oh, I forgive the person. If, if you really forgave the person, then a lot of times our actions will be a little bit different. We hold things about to uh, people, and we're in the body of Christ, and we're holding things from people because of what people did. And surely they did something wrong. It was terrible what they did. They shouldn't have done that. And a lot of times they do it over and over again. But how many times do we actually forgive our brother? You know, the Pharisees, they were saying, according to Amos, they were reading Amos, and they said, well, God says a transgression of Moab, you know, uh, you know three times and, and four, then I'm not going to forgive them. You know, see, so the Pharisees were reading that, said, so, well, you, you know, we'll forgive people three or four times. That's it. And so the, the disciples were saying, hey, I know. This is cool. What if I forgive somebody seven times, Jesus? How's that? Because that's going much further than the Pharisees. What did Jesus say? No, not seven times, but seven times, 70. In other words, it's a lot. In other words, what he means is that it's continuous forgiveness. Every time a person asks for forgiveness, forgive them. Even if they don't ask for forgiveness, you need to forgive them. Because why? Because it only is going to hurt you. See, they might want to, want to not forgive you, you know. They might want to hold things. You forgive them anyway for what they did to you, you know. Forgive them anyway. Don't hold anything back. Now, all this is based on the Word of God. What you mean is based on the Word of God? It's based on what God has done for us. That's the only reason why we're doing this. We are, we are new creations. That's what Second uh, Corinthians, uh, I guess, is around uh, verse 7, 17, 7, 17, something like that, where it says that, that uh, uh, we have been given a minister of reconciliation. It tells us that, really, uh, we are new creations. If we are new, if we are different, then why are we still the same? Why are we still acting like the world? Why are we still holding unforgiveness? Matter of fact, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer Forgive our trespasses that we forgive those who trespass against us. And we, we, it's like 
all it is is just words we are saying because we are holding unforgiveness. Come on, husband and wife. Come on, teenagers and parents. Do we do that or do we not? You know? We can say those words and we're, we're holding unforgiveness even at that time. Sometimes we're not even speaking to our mate. Come on. I'm telling you the truth. God says that he wants us to forgive because he's forgiven us. He's forgiven us a debt we could not pay. So why are you holding these little pity things, petty things against one another? He says, that's not petty. They're doing the same thing over and over again. They just keep on doing this thing over and over again, you know. I don't want to keep forgiving this person because they're going to never change. So what? The only reason why we are ever changed is because the Holy Spirit changes us. We can't change ourselves. Let's look at Matthew 18. Let's read about it a little bit. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they were, you know, went on down there. Let's skip to 21. Then Peter came, 21. Then Peter came and said to them, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Of seven times, Jesus said, to him, I do not say to you of the seven times, but of the seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, and it says compared, it didn't say it was, this is the kingdom of heaven, it says compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So we're talking about a king now. So that king is over a kingdom, and he wants to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, 10,000 talents. One talent was equivalent to 15 years labor. One talent. So he owed him 10,000 talents. Do you think this man going to live 10,000 times 15 years? That's about 150 years, isn't it? 150,000 years. He's not going to live that long. But listen to what he says now. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and the children and all he had and repayment being to be made. Now, because of what they said here in this verse, most theologians say that this king was a, a pagan king because in a Jewish nation, they would not, it was against the law to sell a person's wife. Okay, you couldn't sell a person's wife. And he says, we're going to sell your wife, your children, and all that you have, repayment being made. But it's compared to this, though. The kingdom of heaven is still compared to this. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Now, is he a fool or what? How is he going to pay, if one talent is 15 years, how is he going to pay 10,000 talents back? He's not going to live that long. He's not going to live that long. 
but he was begging for mercy. I'll repay you. I don't want you to give me anything. I'll repay you, even though he knew he couldn't pay it. Also, it says that this was not just a, a field slave. These slaves, we're talking about these are uh, stewards. Because the only way you're going to lose 10,000 talents of a master, you must be in charge of the money. You can't lose it if you're not in charge of it. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself, said, I repay everything. Verse 27, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion. What's another word for that compassion? Mercy. And released him and forgave him of the debt. Okay. But that slave went out and found one of the fellow slaves, one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's, that's one day's, that one denarii is one day's labor. So he owed him a hundred days pay. So it's about a third of a year, less than a third of a year. Now he could, he could really probably repay that. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him. Because he told him, you're going to have to pay back all you owe. He did the same thing that the slave had done to his master. He fell on the ground. He began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Now, this is after seizing him, after choking him. Now, did the master do him like that? Did the master seize him and choke him? No, he didn't do that. Did the master throw him in prison? No. He forgave him. He forgave him. Matter of fact, he didn't say, you can't be a steward any longer. So he kept him. He goes out, and his other fellow slave, fellow, you know, slave who, who don't owe him that much, really, he said, I'm going to put you in prison because you owe me, and I don't care about my master because I know you could be working for him instead of in prison, but because you owe me, I'm going to put you in prison. You're not going to be able to work for the master, so later for the master, later for his kingdom, all that you do for him, I'm going to put you in prison until you pay everything. That's not too good, is it? That's not too good. So when his fellow slaves saw that what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to the Lord of all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave. What made him wicked? Was it, was it because he lost the uh, 10,000 talents? No. It wasn't because of that. It's because of his heart. His heart. The compassion that the king had on him had no effect on him. It had no change on that slave's inside. None whatsoever. He was just happy and went away because he changed his outside circumstances. God wants us to change inside, saints. There's no need of changing just outside and coming to church, you know, and saying we're Christians. And on the, in the workplaces, in our families, they know that your walk doesn't match your talk. 
That means that you haven't changed on the inside. That means what the master has done for you and Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Heavenly Father, he has shown mercy on us. He sent his only begotten son. Jesus died for us. He paid a, a, a precious price for us. I mean, it wasn't easy to pay that price. But he paid the price for us for the salvation of our souls. And we account it as naught. Later for him for forgiving me all this debt, I'm still going to hold unforgiveness to you because you said something that you shouldn't have said. You did something that you shouldn't have done. And therefore, until you change, I'm not going to forgive you. Woo, come on. This is the body of Christ. I'm not talking to the world. Of course, the world, they can't even, they can't even understand the message of the cross. It's foolishness to them. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's what God is saying here. He wants us to be changed from the inside out. That's why we need to show mercy. And he says, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? In the same way? Have you heard that before? The new commandment, you know, the, the, one of the old commandments was to love your neighbor as yourself, right? But a new one he gave in John was to love one another as I have loved you. In the same way that he has loved us, what has he forgiven us of? Did he require, did he say it, Willie? Before I accept you into the kingdom, before you are, are going to be born again, you're going to have to change your ways. Because you are selfish. You know? Did he say that to me? No. Uh -uh. No, no. He forgave me when I was the worst that I could possibly be. Couldn't get any better. I was going to die and go to hell. Had no choice because I couldn't pay the debt that Adam sinned. I couldn't pay it. You couldn't either. But he paid it for us. Jesus paid it for us. So are we going to love other people in the body of Christ like he has loved us? Or are we going to be selfish and if I don't have my way, then, you know, I'm out of here. You know, I'll go to another church. You know, the body of Christ is pretty bad. I'm serious. We are. All of us are. If I don't have my way, then I'm going to leave school as soon as I get 18. If I don't have my way. If I don't have my way, I'm going to leave home as soon as I possibly can. And I'm going to get married. Then I have somebody to take care of me. I can do what I want. Everybody who's married knows that's a bad thing. <laughs> that's a bad thing, you know. I don't have my way. 
and I'm going to divorce you. Isn't it great that Jesus didn't divorce us? You know? He could have. He still could. If he weren't who he is. Because I don't know whether you are still as bad as I am. But I'm not, I'm not where I should be. I'm not where I should be. You know? But I know for a fact you aren't either. You know? None of us are. We are in a process of being sanctified. And that process is going to continue until the day we die and get a new body. As long as we're in this flesh, it's going to be hard. And we struggle to get over things. We all have problems. We just hold somebody else's problems against them, but don't want God to hold our problems against us. That's not mercy. 34. And his... And his Lord moved with anger. Last time he was moved with compassion. This time he's moved with anger. Hand him over to the torturers. My goodness gracious. Until he should repay all that he has, he has owed him. Now, now let me ask you. How long do you think he's going to be tortured? All his life. All his life. Because he can't pay it. He can't pay it. It says that my heavenly Father will also do the same to you. Who is he talking to? Is, is he talking to just, uh, you know, he's in prison, going to the prison, say, hey, I'm talking to you behind bars. Is he saying that? See, Peter came to him. You remember? Peter is pretty tough now. When he's talking about the the apostles now, the, the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, the first, it says, Peter. Simon, who is called Peter. That's what it says. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. See, we do a lot of lip service. I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, what's the difference between mercy, then, and tough love? That's the way we started, you remember? The difference between mercy and tough love. Because you're saying that, wait a minute now, that means that this person, they're going to walk, I'm going to be like a doormat. They're going to walk all over me. Surely God doesn't want that. Surely he wants me to stand up, you know. He turned over the money changing tables. I mean, come on, you know. Can I just slap him one time, you know? <laughs> See, Ephesians 4 says that, And fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but, when it says but, here's an alternative here. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you bring your children up into the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you won't provoke them to anger. It's just when you don't do that is you provoke them to anger because they don't understand why you have to discipline them, why you have to instruct them against their will. I know I was in, um, when I was coaching basketball, I went to um, Dave Smith, Carolina, uh, Tar Heel basketball camp. And the first day, uh, they told us, okay, the, the bus going to leave going over to the school where we're going to have uh, the, the older people play. And I, I was one of the ones who was coaching, who was supposed to go over there with the older people. And 
the bus leaves at, I think it was like 8 o'clock, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I said, okay, it's cool, you know. I'll get there before time. I got there at 5 minutes to 8. They were gone. Gone. And I said, man, this is bad, you know. Why in the world would they tell me they're going to leave at 8 and they leave, you know, before 8 o'clock? This is wrong. You know how we say things, and this is wrong, you know. Well, uh, when I, I caught a ride over there to this, this other school, and, and I, I said, well, what is the real rule? I hear what he said, and that's not really the rule. What's the rule? Coach Smith, when he says 8 o'clock, when he tells his team, uh, whether it's Michael Jordan and all these, these great stars, when he tells them, hey, we're leaving at 9, we're leaving at 8, we're leaving at 6 o'clock, it never means that. It always means that we're leaving at quarter of. In other words, we're leaving 15 minutes before I said we're leaving. When everybody gets here, we are pulling out. You know? And I said, oh, my goodness gracious, I wasn't there. I'm part of everybody. You don't count. <laughs> you, know? you know, nobody counts. If, you, if you're there, if you're there at, at, at you know, 746, you're gone. You, you, you're going to find your own way. And so the next I never was late again. Do you know that you can be late to a job, you can be late to church, you can be late anywhere you go, anytime you want to if they don't have some, some type of consequence that, you know, is going to happen. And so in school, I didn't ever have to be on time because I never had a homeroom. And since I was coaching, uh, all the time, and in, even in elementary school, I didn't have a homeroom, and students came to homeroom first, so I didn't have to ever be there on time. And I very seldom ever left on time either. So that's an excuse I use. You see, but see, if there were consequences, one year we had a change of principal over Bedford Hills, and one of the teachers told me, said, hey, I just want to let you know, the principal over here, if you're late, he's going to dock you. He's going to make a note of it. And you're not going to make it here if you're late. I was never late at Bedford Hills while that principal was there. When they changed principals, I went by being late. <laughs> you know, you know it, it, they got to be some consequences, you know. Those consequences are tough love. Tough love, you see. And you got to have tough love. Love, <laughs> God has tough love. Do you hear what I'm saying? When, when you think of David, Absalom, Tamar, and Ammon, you don't have to turn to it in, in 2 Samuel, because I'm going to just talk about it, in chapter 13. See, what did David do to his son Ammon for raping Tamar, his, his daughter, who was actually, you know, uh, uh, Absalom's full sister? What did he do to Ammon? Nothing. It says that David got anger, angry. He did nothing. Did nothing to Ammon. So what, what happened to Absalom? said, this man is king. He did nothing. I'm going to do something. So two years later, two years later, he killed Ammon. You know, he took revenge himself. Now, we know we don't take revenge. Vengeance is the Lord's. But I'm saying if you don't do something, you're going to provoke people to anger. You're going to provoke your children to anger if you don't, if you don't uh, follow the word of God. It's very important. God is that way. How about Esau? Turn to Esau, chapter 
Turn quick to um, uh, Hebrews 12. You remember Esau sold his birthright for some soup. Because <laughs> he was hungry. Now that dude, that dude sold his birthright now. A double portion. He sold it for some, something to eat. And in, in Hebrews 12, verse 15, it says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, that it may defile many. Sometimes people get bitter in the church and they start talking to other people. Don't you think? What do you think about this, you know? Da-da-da-da. After a while, somebody else gets... And that, that is terrible, you know? If you, if you hear somebody doing that, you better move away from them because you don't want to get defiled yourself. Verse 16, that there be no immorality or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. I don't want to be standing, and we're going to be judged by everything that we do and say in this body, aren't we? I don't want to be standing in judgment day, and, you know, I'm supposed to get a blessing because we, we, we're going to, there are rewards for doing what God says to do. Okay? We're not talking about heaven and hell now. We're talking about blessings. We're talking about rewards. Do you think Esau wanted, wanted a blessing? Wanted his reward for being Yes, he wanted, but he had sold it for a single meal. I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to sell what God has for me or my family for a single sin for a single unforgiveness, for not showing mercy to somebody, or because they did me wrong, or because they haven't changed because of this or because of that. I don't want to do that. Because I have to be concerned about God and what he has for me. And what he has for is that we're supposed to treat others the same way as he treated us. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, it basically tells us that how, uh, you remember Paul was talking to the, Corinth, the church at Corinth. It says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. The, and immorality is as such that it's a kind that doesn't even exist among the Gentiles. For someone has his father wife. Now this person is having a uh, Immoral relationship with his father's wife, which would make her his, what? Stepmother. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. It says removed from your, your midst. That means a man not repentant. Remove him. Remove him from the, from the church body because it's going to, a little leaven, leaven a whole bunch. And sometimes people say, well, man, you don't want to put people out in the church. You know that you don't want to do that, man. You don't. Wait a minute, it's scripture. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in the spirit, have already judged him. He said he's done what? Judge him. You know, who has committed such as this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when, I, when you assemble and I'm with you in the spirit, 
With the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's tough love, isn't it? But what does God mean when we're going to show tough love? Tough love is is meant for reconciliation. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's meant for reconciliation. No, we're not going to keep showing mercy, keep showing mercy, keep showing mercy. And, and we have young parents now that don't even spank their children. I don't know what's wrong with them. They don't have sense. You know, because they don't know the word of God. You know, they're just provoking their children to anger, you know. You know? And, and, they, you know, and the thing is that, that you're showing love when you discipline them, when you instruct them, if you do it in the correct way, in love. And so Paul actually loved the man and said, look, we're going to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of that flesh. But see, in 2 Corinthians, he told him to take him back in. See, because he, he was repentant. See, if you kick the person out of church, and I mean, where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? He ain't going nowhere. Now, this, the day in society now, it's got about 99 other churches you can go to. And most people don't ask no questions whatsoever, you know, about a person. They're just happy to see you and hope you talk about the place where you, want, where you live, you know. Why did you leave, you know? Tell me. I won't tell about it just between me and you, you know. <laughs> they won't hear the latest gossip, you know. I'm telling you. He put them out and see what we need to do. It said, hey, why are you over here? Oh, because um, I just want a change. A change from what? It's the body of Christ. You better get back where you belong, you know. Don't come over here messing us up. That would be, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? You know? Are you going to love your children enough to show tough love? Or you're going to give them everything they, they want, you know. You're going to pacify them all the time, you know. Or you're going to give your mate everything they want. You're going to pacify them, you know. And you know they're not right. You know they need to change. But you'll do nothing. You say, I'm just showing mercy. The pastor says, show mercy. That's why mercy has to be balanced with tough love. You know? But tough love now is meant for what? Reconciliation. It's not meant to say... Child, get out of this household. You can't come out. Come back in here. We'll send you to the detention center somewhere. You know, you're not coming back in here. No. Find a place for him. So, sweetheart, look, I love you, but you're just not doing, you're keeping the rules of the house. So this is what, this way you're going to be, you know. And when you change your heart, your mind about things and repent, then you're welcome back. I love you. I want you back, you know. But you let them sit in that house and do, do what they want to do. We have grown children, and, and you know, they say, well, they, they must love Cornerstone. Now, they, they, they come because we're here, but also because they're going to go to church somewhere. They're not going to sit at home, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because that's not what we do. We don't do that. You know? Not in my house, we don't do that. For me and my household, we're going to do what? Serve the Lord. You know? So I'm trying to tell you, you've got to show tough love. And you think sometimes you, you're showing, well, you know, I don't have to show, 
Now, I'm showing mercy, you know, and, and God said, you better look at the word of God because the word of God is God. Didn't you hear what Myrna said? Gospel of John. One, one. Is that okay? We're going to be judged by it. We're going to be judged by it. So I want you to show mercy, but I also want you to show tough love. And tough love is meant for reconciliation. It's not meant for, you know, just separation, uh, endless stuff, and, and, you know, you're out of here forever, son or daughter or wife or husband, you know. It's not that. We're going to change from the inside out. Let's stand. Everyone will bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you for the word of God, Lord. The word of God is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce even the vows of the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and the discern of the thoughts and tents of the heart. We are so thankful for your word. We're thankful that we have it, that we can read it in a lot of different versions, Lord. We can do a lot of different things of that nature. Father, that we know we won't understand it. We won't really grasp it like we should uh, if we're not born again. If there's anyone here that's not born again, if you raise your hand and put it back down, we'll pray for you because today is a day of salvation. Anyone here that haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, today is a day. Anyone here that way, just raise your hand and put it back down, and we will want to pray for you. If anyone here that uh, you want to make things right with God, you know you have uh, given your life to God, but you know that you know, you're not really walking the talk. It's just lip service. Today is a day for repentance. If there's godless sorrow that you know you should be doing that, and you want to do that, and you should pray for me because I want to have the grace of God to be able to change in that area. Would you raise your hand and put it back down? We'd like to pray for you. Anybody in that situation? Anyone here that the messages really touched them in that, God, you know, I really don't show mercy like I should. Or I get it mixed up. Sometimes I show mercy, but I don't show tough love. Or, you know, I show tough love, but I, but I don't show, you know, I say it's tough love, but it's meant to separate forever. It's not really meant for reconciliation. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you raise your hand and put it back down? Okay, I see your hands back. Father, we want to pray for the ones that raise a hand that, Father, they would distinguish today. Today, the difference between mercy and tough love. How to show tough love, but have a spirit of reconciliation. A compassionate spirit. A compassionate spirit should be with showing mercy. It should be with showing tough love. It's compassion. It's love. Father, make this so in their lives today, Lord, that distinction, Lord. Call them to be able to walk in it, Lord. So when things don't go their way, they're not going to say things that they're going to have to be standing before you and answering for it, Lord. They're going to keep their mouths closed 
Because a lot of times, Father, we just don't understand what you're doing and how you're doing it and with whom you're doing it with, Father. We just don't understand all the time. 